Well, good morning, everyone, and thanks again to the band for uh, leading us in worship. As I said, the first service, I really uh, love it when kind of the, that part is done and it feels like there's, there's still more, but it's like that, that also shared the gospel in, uh, in the words we sang together. Uh, it's a huge part of uh, kind of what has been not, not fully there this last year, so I really appreciate hearing that here this morning and, and hearing all of your voices too. So it's an awesome way to, to begin. Um, and as you are again coming today, I just uh, want to welcome you. My name is uh, Chris Thompson. I'm one of the elders here at Hiawatha. And we're really glad that you're joining us in worshiping uh, and learning through the word uh, together today. And also happy Father's Day uh, to all you fathers out there. Um, I know maybe a little bit disappointing of the, the weather. It seems like it's not going to be great. But um, as I was thinking as my drive here this morning, I thought, you know what? It's like a perfect day then to kind of give permission for a nap. I, I, uh, so you fathers, I probably want a nap. So uh, it's a good, good opportunity for that. Um, but uh, you may be wondering who I am and why I'm up here. Um, like I said, my name is Chris, and uh, my family and I, uh, this is up there, my wife Sarah's in the, the middle, on the left is Kate, my daughter, who's 14. Eloise is uh, on the right there, is 17, and my son Luke in the upper right is almost 21, turns 21 this August. So um, we have been part of Hiawatha pretty much since the beginning. We were uh, at, High, uh, at Hope uh, Church downtown, then part of a launch team with... Um, uh, Chris Walker and Spencer and some others, uh, and Mike Devereaux that, that came down here, and so we've been blessed to be part of that since then. Became an elder in about 2009. Um, in my day job, so this is a kind of a lay pastor that I, I do that here, but in my day job, I am a teacher at Hope Academy, so that's on 23rd in Chicago in Minneapolis. I've been there for about uh, seven years, and um, as a science teacher, the first question that I get pretty much every year is like, when are we going to burn stuff? So that's kind of, I guess, what I do is I burn stuff and try to explain the meaning behind it. But generally at the end, kids are like, remember when you burned that stuff uh, and it made colors? That's kind of what they remember. So that, that's a little bit about what, uh, what I do during uh, that time. But I really love that, that chance to kind of, um, to, it's definitely a ministry. I, I love teaching. I, I'm a science nerd, but I also uh, like to be in relationship with, with those kids. And uh, many of them I get to kind of connect with even well past when they, they leave high school. So it's a huge, huge blessing. Um, and as I said, I'm also one of the elders here, and uh, as you looked at our passage here today, that's actually one of the topics that is covered. And so um, we get to participate in preaching once or twice a year, and uh, the summertime is usually one of those times where, um, because of vacations and kind of a, a lesser schedule and Spencer's on his sabbatical, that you'll have um, a number of us um, lay elders preaching up here, here this summer. And um, as I said, we're in a, a series in 1 Timothy, and this is one of the letters written to the churches by the Apostle Paul to his former ministry partner, Timothy, um, to help guide the church plant at Ephesus that he had planted, and we, we hear uh, accounting of that in Acts. Um, 1 Timothy is, is kind of classified in these pastoral letters that are given some instructions to the church, some uh, practical instructions for specific things that they're facing there, but also written to us uh, here in 2021. Um, to guide us as the, the, the church of Christ right now, uh, not just uh, back then. So, so far in this uh, passage, we're, we're, we're going to be in, in uh, chapter 3 today, but earlier in the, the book, we've learned about how to guard the good deposit in the unity of the gospel, uh, to confront false teaching that actually comes up again later as well. Uh, those that would, would steer away, preach a false gospel that leads into, uh, away from Christ into vain discussions um, or myths. Um, and it's also instructed as how we should pray constantly, uh, pray as a way to, to emphasize our own uh, need for what God is doing, that we are not doing the work that God is, and to intercede for all people, uh, from the lowly to the powerful, um, including kings and those in high positions. 
And then last week, um, Chris uh, unpacked a notoriously challenging passage on guidance for church gatherings and the discussion of the roles of men and women in those settings. Today, we'll continue um, in hearing about how the love of Christ is shown in these instructions and how he loves his church through that. So we're going to be in 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 13. I will have those uh, verses up on the screen. You can also turn it in there. A few Bibles are um, uh, on your devices as well. So we'll start with uh, just reading the passage through to begin. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, and not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity keeping his children submissive, For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be thought well of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of faith with a clear conscience and let them be tested first and let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives uh, likewise must be dignified, not slandered, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. God, thank you for uh, your word this morning. Uh, I pray that it would speak to us. God, you've written it for us uh, for our benefit here in uh, current day as well as what it uh, meant to the church back then. Uh, We pray that you would use it to instruct and to challenge and to guide uh, and that we would uh, submit to it and and love it uh, even more um, and and the gospel that it shows to us even more than we did when we came into this, uh, this building here this morning. Um, thank you for each of these people that you brought here today. It's not by accident, and so I pray that you would uh, work in and through um, your word in their lives as well. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as we take a look at this passage, I want to start with a few disclaimers um, and connections to last week's passage um, on women and men in worship and leadership. Um, as Chris had stated more broadly, um, but we discuss as our overseer team uh, quite often, is that these passages um, like last week's and today, um, have been used historically and sometimes currently in, and been abused uh, by men to a certain unhealthy and really, uh, I hope you see today, an unchristlike manner of leading the, in the church and or the home. There's, there's some uh, crossover in that for sure. Um, misrepresenting these passages has been harmful, can be, um, but just because they have been doesn't mean that they should be ignored or simply explained away. So as we learn through the word together, I I pray you'd be open to hearing God's heart in this and how it shows his great love for us, even with, and the reality that has been potentially harmfully applied, even in your own personal context or somebody that's very close to you. Um, And we believe it's really important to to still look at that. And I'll say this kind of again at the end, but just to remind you that we we love uh, questions and uh, through the life of this church in 2006, there's been uh, lots of people sending emails with lots of discussions about this and and other issues. Um, We firmly believe that it's way better to be um, open and bring things up than to let things sit and to 
fester and be this thing that you don't want to, you don't have to necessarily land in the same place, but really to not let it sit there if it's something that you feel like after, after today or after this week or when you've thought about this. Um, we really love those conversations. Um, so I would encourage you to do that and be thinking that through here um, today. Um, and as we uh, kind of look at this, this passage in more detail, you'll hear something that we hear a lot of at Hiawatha is that there's kind of two angles we want to look at. The human side, like what does it mean? There are some, some practical realities both for the church there, but also then linking to us here um, that we should, we should use in answering the question as a church of really who should, who should lead us? What are some characteristics that are important uh, in those leaders and, and why? Um, so what, what are the kinds of people we want in those roles? This is kind of the, the nitty-gritty of uh, issues of the church and how it's to be run that are uh, kind of in both and, like both in first century um, Asia Minor and in 2021 in Minneapolis. But if this is our only angle, it does beg the question, what does it mean for someone who may never be in church leadership? Is it just some kind of like a, you know, spiritualized leader guide? You can take all these different like courses or read books on like leadership qualities. It's kind of like a spiritualized version of that. Um, and other than that, it's kind of just, okay, whatever, I don't need that. Um, I really want you to see today that I, I, would, I would argue strongly the answer is no. It is very useful for us, uh, even if you never enter into church leadership for, for any given reason. It's relevant for every part of the body of Christ. In fact, knowing and believing that God has given us practical guidance for leadership should be a way that we then point to him and his love for us demonstrated in action, which I'll uh, go more into a bit later. So first, the human side of this passage. Keep forgetting this here. All right. Uh, Human side of this passage. This describes two offices uh, within the church that lead its people. Um, elders and deacons. If you've never heard those terms before, you may think of an elder as a pastor or a shepherd. The Greek in, the, uh, in verse 1 there is episkopos. Uh, you may recognize in words like episcopal, uh, which means overseer and in other passages connected with the task of shepherding. So like in uh, 1 Peter 5, 1 to 2, I don't have it up on the screen, but you can take a look. It says, uh, says this, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, for not, shameful, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Deacons, then, can be thought of as servant leaders. Uh, before getting to the details of these descriptions, I want to um, kind of look at the overall look of this passage. So when you read this, this list, it's a you know, list of these qualifications that we'll look at a handful of them here in, in some different ways. But I, I hope you see kind of, even if you, you know, looking at the, the details, kind of wondering what those mean, that you see some of these, these words and just to kind of um, repeat them and saying, uh, sober-minded, self-controlled, faithful to one wife, hospitable, um, uh, holding to the mystery of faith, blameless. Like the I hope there's at least some piece that says, I, that's, uh, I mean, I believe that that can fully happen, but there, there's something good in that. Like, God desires for us to have that type of leadership. Um, and so, the, the kind of the, the world, the, the view of this passage, look at it through the, the guise of love. God is, is loving his church by instructing them in this way. Um, and so, uh, I, I think... Um, yeah, so we can kind of summarize that as leadership matters. Like leadership is not just a, an option. It is an important aspect of the life of the church. And, and God in his wisdom knows that about us, that we need leadership, and he gives uh, some guidance in that. Um, and so, uh, yeah, both how to lead and how to be led well. 
All right. Um, so a couple quick examples just that I, I thought of that I think were good, just kind of uh, one a little bit sillier and one is uh, more serious about how we can see this. And, I, and I'm sure you can grab experiences of leadership in your own life. We are all in various ways under leadership, sometimes in leadership. It can be small, it can be big. Um, but two that came to mind in looking at this and why I think we can be uh, convinced both from Scripture but also from experience that this, that this is an important uh, aspect of how we do things. So first of all, when it's absent. Um, as I mentioned before, I uh, teach primarily high school, but my first year um, at Hope, I taught middle school. And so the way the schedule worked out, the end of the day on Friday, I had my, uh, my middle school boys class, um, which if you, you know, have a lot of interaction with middle school boys and middle school in general, there's a lot of energy, especially the end of the day on Friday. And so um, we, they had earned some extra time, like in our, our chunk of time to do something fun. Sometimes we'd go outside, sometimes we'd go like to the gym and play basketball or whatever. Um, but for whatever reason, we couldn't do that. And we decided they, they really wanted to watch Netflix. And so, you know, this is like that we can be in school and watch Netflix. And I was like, all right, let's, let's, let's watch some Netflix. And I, you know, I don't know if it was like my, in my, you know, wisdom as a teacher or leader or in my fatigue as being the end of the day on Friday and didn't really want to be much more involved and was like, just go decide on something to watch for Netflix. But if you've ever just, just you know, think about this or if you've ever tried this before, take a group of kids and actually probably adults and say, here, decide something to watch on this, you know, great body of like thousands of titles uh, of, of Netflix. And I think that they, they reached, they got to the point where like it was like in the superhero category, but then it very quickly devolved into like discussions of Marvel versus DC, which superhero is uh, better, how, who could beat Iron Man in a fight. And by the end, like this is like, you know, we had like maybe half an hour. I think 25 minutes had gone by and it's, and it's so a part of me was just kind of watching this happen and just realizing like they're, they're never going to decide anything. The bell is going to ring and they're going to go home having just argued about what to do instead of actually doing anything. Uh, so in the end, I went with what is a classic, again, just a little practical, unrelated to this passage note. If you want to entertain a group of guys, and I would, I would probably say any age, find a good like sports fail video on YouTube. That, that's like a golden, just sports fail guys like trying to catch something and running into something else like that will pretty much always get them. So I ended on a high note anyway. Um, but in, in, in that, that example, it's kind of silly, but it's like when, when you, and I've been in, you've probably been in meetings or places before, there's not a clear like where are we going with this? Like what are we trying to do? Um, that it, it, it's not like that's all bad, but just not much happens. Um, so leaderless groups do not function very well. So that's what's one angle that I, I just be thinking about in giving these instructions. Uh, second one is a is harmful or just overall failed leadership that can look a lot of different ways. Um, and, and again, you can grab from your own example. Uh, unfortunately, you probably each have one or more than one of where you've seen that play out. And um, for me, I was trying to think of something I didn't want like want to go. Uh, kind of personally in a lot of ways, but just to look at what's something that, that was uh, recently in the news. And so uh, for me, what came to mind is Ravi Zacharias, which some of you may know, uh, this example. He um, was a Christian apologist. He passed away uh, last year. Worldwide ministry and influence. I first heard him when I was a, a freshman at Wheaton College, and it was a big deal. I had no idea who he was, and I heard him speak. for He was in chapel for a couple days and then did a seminar. Very, very uh, well-read in the Bible, very convincing. He knew culture very well. He's from India, and so he had like a, um, like he knew pretty much every world religion and their main tenets, and could quote from uh, from all these works. A very impressive uh, character and, and guy. If you've ever heard him or read him before, um, he met with leaders around the world who were hostile to the gospel and preached to like the um, uh, president of like Jordan. He wrote about in one of his books. So very, like God clearly had had used him in uh, many different ways. 
But shortly before his death last year, sexual allegations came to light against him that uh, through a series of things, and eventually his, his family uh, did say, like, we found this to be true. Um, uh, this, this has elicited an apology. I, I uh, looked on their website, still has a website up, and it's just, it's hard to watch the, uh, his, his, one of his daughters, I don't know how big his family is, but to, to say what happened and uh, kind of, exp- like, they're, by God's grace, still trying to minister out of that, but just you can you can just sense the weight of this failure on his ministry. I, I don't doubt that God. I mean, God used that in used him uh, to kind of affect my faith, but and I know thousands of others. But there's no doubt that this sin is rippling across his uh, ministry. Um, and so, whether it, you could pick any other one that you've you've experienced or seen, but poor, harmful, and abusive leadership has terrible consequences, both in and outside of the church. And so, um, it, it being so important and having so because it's so important when it doesn't work can have all these negative consequences. We um, I hope you see that there's a there's an example of love um, that we see in the, in the instructions at all. Um, so, um, as we look at that, we're going to uh, be looking to see how uh, this shows God's love for us in the passage and the practical application of uh, in the church. So, let's start with um, looking at the, um, uh, the passage on elders. There we go. All right, so in the first section, we see the description of elder or overseer. Right away, we see the idea put forth that it is a noble calling. A mix of being called and um, desiring to be called. It's not something to be taken lightly or flippantly because as the remainder of the passage shows us, it's demonstrating aspects of Christ's character to the church. It contains a list of qualities that is to be sought for and to be looked at for those who would serve in this office. In verse 6, we see that time is a big consideration. So time, really, if you kind of reference that back, it talks about it being uh, not being led astray, but ultimately, it, it takes time for the gospel to influence the life of a believer. And so we want to see those characteristics as demonstrated by the leaders that we have uh, in order for them to be uh, in the responsibility, the, the heavy responsibility of guiding his flock. So I'm going to focus on two right now. We'll kind of revisit this uh, in, a, in a different angle at the end, but two um, right now um, in uh, in this, and the first is that this passage does utilize in Greek the the male pronoun. So um, he desires, uh, and here, along with our passage from last week uh, in in verse two twelve and others, that the role of an elder is um, given and is instructed for men. As can't be stated enough, though, in in saying that this has nothing to do with overall leadership qualities or ability, or even biblical knowledge or worthiness before God but as a way that God symbolizes his love for the church. Men are to be watchmen over the flock of God, taking spiritual bullets for the flock in a way that women are not. It's an area that as with the priesthood in the Old Testament or even the the example of Jesus' 12 apostles um, were men and that we don't see women serving in that particular role. We do see plenty of strong female leadership. We just spent, and I encourage you if this is your first time hearing this and kind of uh, in response to it, we spent a, Two and a half months or so in Esther, looking at um, the, the Christ likeness of Esther and her um, and her place in the Bible, God used her uh, so well in that. We also see it in Priscilla in uh, the Book of Acts, and we we see this similar type of language then of of protection in Ephesians five. So there's a, there's a strong connection between uh, the Christ and His church and. Uh, husbands and their wives. In Ephesians 5, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 
In other words, there are gender differences, not only biologically, but in the way in which we reflect the gospel. Husbands are to serve as protectors and shields to attacks, be it physical or spiritual, for their wives, just as elders protect and shield attacks for the bride of Christ, his church. This can take a lot of different forms, um, uh, but in Timothy, even just in earlier, uh, in, in chapter two, or sorry, in chapter one, we see as one of the roles is protecting from false gospels, from false doctrine and, and ideas that, that can filter in, uh, intentionally or not, that steer us away from Christ into something else that was ultimately will not be satisfying and will lead us from the true source of life. So that, that, is, that is one that, is, that it can be, I know it can be hard, but uh, we believe is, is said clearly here in Timothy and elsewhere in, in by example. The second aspect of character uh, that we see, there's many in that list, um, that we see that is unique in the elder ca- classification, doesn't mean no, no, nobody else can have it, but it's a unique gifting that is looked for is teaching. And I want to spend some time on this because this is the, this is like the, the meat, the word of God, the gospel itself is our food. And I want to kind of explore that, that idea that that is our sustenance as believers. So as leaders, we are looking for those who are able to communicate that effectively so that God's people or us are, don't ever forget whose we are. We kind of say this in the, in the way you might hear up here before I know you have, is that uh, if you've been here any length of time, that it's like a, a band that keeps playing the same song. Like we might play it a little bit faster or slower or from a different angle or in a different key or something, but it is, we, we are bringing to you the word of God uh, each and every week because that is our spiritual food and we'll, we'll see that in, uh, in here. First Peter 2, it says, so put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk, that, it, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Um, in John 1, we'll kind of link back to this too, but it, uh, he just equates that the word of God, in the beginning was the word, capital W, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So we, we have a link to that the word is, is Christ, and we'll uh, see that too. And then uh, a little longer passage I'll put up here, but I want us to read through together is later in John, when Jesus um, addresses a crowd, um, we, we hear this. And so there's a lot in this here, but there's a couple key phrases that I want to pick out, but I, uh, you can join me in reading um, up on the screen. I guess there we go. Uh, when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. 
All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks upon the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And so, a lot in there, but I, I wanted to grab this to, to see this exchange, first of all, again, is that there can be things that we miss in short passages, and, and even in this we see an example. Of people were, were chasing after Jesus, and I think there, there's something, look at this later, like they were attracted to what he was doing, but I mean, he looks right away and says, really all you wanted, uh, he says, um, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because of signs, because you ate your fill of the loaves, like they had they had been filled. They were hungry and he multiplied the, the loaves and fishes. But that, that drew them in. They didn't really know why they were drawn in except like this guy did something amazing. And then um, he's explained to them and really has to finally like come to the, the meat of it. I am the bread of life. Like you're not quite getting it and I still think they probably didn't fully get it at this point. Like I, I am the bread. I am the sustenance. So in this exchange, we see that this crowd is confused and Jesus kind of clarifies some things. So first, uh, first off is that there is a, a food that perishes. It's a role of, of feeding uh, the flock and teaching. Food that perishes versus food that lasts. So there is, uh, obviously we have, we have food, we know we need food. Uh, when you get hungry, like you're you know, probably getting hungry towards lunchtime now and you, like, you sense that, like we know that our body needs it. That's meant to kind of, we need to go eat some food, yes, but that's meant to point us to something else. Um, even uh, Jesus looks back to the Old Testament. If you don't uh, know that story in the Old Testament, the, the people of God, Israel, had been um, saved out of Egypt and were now wandering in the desert for 40 years and they have to pack up and move and, and, uh, and literally wander around this kind of circuitous uh, route in the desert and they need food. And God provides it for them in the, in the source of manna. Each morning there is this bread that God puts on the ground. They collect, they eat that day. If they collect any more, it perishes. Uh, but every morning it's there again. And it's, it's a, he's saying that yes, that sustained them physically. They would have physically died had they not had that. But it was meant to point to something else, that that daily provision of God, that the food that God was giving them physically was meant to represent their, their need for him spiritually. And so uh, Jesus calls out this distinction, and that's part of, part of the role as elders, to feed the flock. Um, so we have the temporary versus um, the eternal, Christ's body. Again, in verse 33, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger and believes in me shall never thirst. There's an eternal, eternal hunger that Christ, um, Christ provides for, or uh, that Christ satisfies in, uh, for us that we are to um, share. Um, and that the work, so feeding, feeding the people is not feeding the people tasks. The, the work is belief in verse 29. The work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. And that Jesus then is this bread of life, our spiritual nourishment uh, that will never leave us. So overseers then must be able to do this. Uh, to be fed, to feed his word for the people of God. Um, and that we, we train, uh, we kind of train and help each other. Like every, uh, every month that we meet together, we, we talk about our passage, we look it through and we um, try to, what's, what are better ways to explain that and to bring that to you each and every week so that um, it's not just interesting stories or like really entertaining uh, services that those maybe have their place, but they, they're very, very, very low down in the importance. What's most important is that each week our, that our job is to, to feed the sheep the food that nourishes eternally, which is the gospel of grace. 
through his word. That's why we spend some, so much time in the word and we sing about it and we uh, read it and we talk about it here together. So there's obviously more qualities listed uh, in this, this thing. We'll look at a couple of them later. Um, but, I, but in that list too, as we look at it, I, as you're reading through, you might look at it and say, well, I don't think that any leader does this perfectly. And you are correct. Um, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. As, uh, as your leaders, we, uh, this, is, this is part of a, the uh, statement of, um, that we, we confess to one another. Um, we all do that. Um, we all come before his cross equally. The Bible's very clear about that. There is no distinction. Uh, Liz um, says that in, in Galatians. And so there's no distinction spiritually between what we, where we are. We're not like on a higher spiritual level in some way. This isn't a list of accomplishments to hang our hats on, uh, but a sampling of characteristics that will help the church identify men uh, that have these qualifications to lead in eldership. So then the last uh, part of our section, the second part then, um, is looking at deacons. Um, and deacons in the church body are a, a different role. There's, there's obviously some, some degree of overlap, but there's a, a different angle to it. And this is the primary passage where deacons are mentioned, but there's also in Acts 6, and so I'll just read that uh, quickly here, um, one that's often pointed to, uh, where it says uh, this, In these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So here we see kind of a, a, a distinction, like, a, like an example of a distinction where there are these, there's this job to preach the word, to feed the sheep, and then to do service. And I, I, like I said, these things do kind of link together. There's not, it's not uh, necessarily always one or the other, but there are distinct offices that uh, we see shown here. And so this word deacon um, just means a, um, a leader, sorry, a servant, a servant leader. Um, servants in the church doing the work that in various ways demonstrate the care of Christ to his people. Um, historically, this has been taken in one of two ways with regards to who can serve in this office. Um, some denominations do uh, look to this and say uh, in the passage where it says, um, their wives likewise must be dignified. But this is a time though, as opposed to the earlier part of the section where that, that uh, that word possessive there is actually an editing choice. It's not there in uh, the Greek. And it could very well read, the women likewise must be dignified. So just like in this list and description of the characteristics of a deacon, then saying the women kind of uh, that serve in this role should be dignified, etc. on there. And so this also kind of mirrors by example, and we see in Paul's writing of Priscilla's work and partnership with him in the gospel. Um, and then in Acts 18, or sorry, in Romans 16, where we, we read a description of Phoebe, um, where Paul says this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant, that's that word, it's the same word, uh, diakonos, the servant of the church, uh, at Centria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. And that word patron kind of a, a uh, partnership and it has worked alongside. So there's, there's examples of this, of this happening, this uh, servant leader in the church doing the work of the church working with Paul. And so um, then the office of deacon uh, reads, like is, is a separate category. There's overlap, but there's a separate uh, category um, in those. And so it, we, we similarly see a list of characteristics um, for, these, uh, for those serving in this role. Um, in other words, these people are chosen to serve God's people and should reflect how the gospel has changed them. 
for example, talks about money. So it talks about um, not be a lover of money. Um, and that they should, they should have been, start to turn away from that into lovers of hunger, that they hunger for thirst and righteousness. Um, so that when decisions need to be made about money, that happens in a church. In fact, that's what the, the passage in uh, Acts is looking at. There's, there's a distribution of, of uh, wealth or, or materials that need to, to happen. Um, they're not going to be swayed by the desire for themselves. So that like, you want to practically see that in your, in your leaders. Or likewise, that they're not double-tongued says about uh, deacons, meaning that those who will say anything to kind of get their desired response, say this thing with this group of people and something else over here, and they're, they're just kind of, uh, you don't even really know what they, they believe, but they will speak the truth in any situation regardless of the difficulty. This would make sense that in the people that are doing the work of the church and also serving like Christ would have uh, this, uh, this characteristic, this, this change, their, their changed personality, their changed spirit by Christ should be reflected in this way. And so at Hiawatha, kind of the human side of things here at, uh, at this church, we have um, two teams in. I mentioned before our elder team. Uh, it's led by uh, head pastor Chris and then uh, Spencer, who's uh, on sabbatical. Um, he's kind of around. We won't see him as much this summer. And then Peter and uh, Jesse and Eric and uh, Caleb and myself. And that, that can change. We just added um, a couple of us. We, I came on back last year after a couple year break. So this is someone that um, we are we're, we're always kind of actively looking for and, and would encourage you to think about that too. Um, deacons then serve in various ways. We do have a specific, there it is, uh, governance team that um, has you know, roles where they, they deal with budgeting and um, some of the kind of the admin uh, nature of things. It's a team of, I'm forgetting the exact uh, numbers, I believe it's like six people uh, right now that are on there. But there's also other uh, deacon roles that are filled in um, hospitality, in, in women's and men's ministry, in, in kids' ministry, in service, in lots of different places. So the, the, serve, the work of uh, the body of Christ we call deacons, and that is a place where we, again, are, are consistently looking for and would be praying for you to think about, is God calling you to one of those roles? Um, so it's to be taken seriously, and it was also an invitation to kind of reflect upon, is that something that he is um, calling you to do? And so as a, a practical manner in this, I would encourage you uh, to be seeking uh, those around you, whether it's in your community group or asking one of us or just looking for more opportunities to serve. And it also says in for deacons to, to kind of be tested in that, to, to serve in things. So find somewhere that you, uh, you feel like you're, you're gifted, God is leading you, or that you've been even asked. And even if you're like, I'm not quite sure if I'm great with toddlers. I don't know if anybody is necessarily great with toddlers, but maybe it's an opportunity for you uh, to check that out. So um, just to, to put that as like the practical side of things as well. But then, in seeing that even more broadly, that God has in his love for us given this type of guidance and direction for the leading of his people in order for us to effectively feed and build up the body and then to proclaim the gospel to the nations. Now, um, that's the, there's more we could look into there. Like, I, I, you know, I was looking through a lot of different things and kind of making a list. There's like each of those qualifications we can go into for a long time. I'd encourage you to do that and to, to keep looking back. There's always going to be things that are um, left out. But I wanted to look a little bit more at some of those in the, in the divine side of things because really if you feel like, and I, think, I don't think necessarily everybody is called to be in one of those roles um, in a church, even as a, maybe as a lifetime believer, maybe you're not in there. And that's, that is okay. That's not a, Again, it's not like there's an extra feather in your cap. Um, but I, I would say then, don't look at it and say, well, all right, then the only really reason I would use this is maybe to evaluate pastors and, and, uh, and overseers at the end of the year, or uh, which can be used in that way, or, or something like that. Um, I would encourage you to see 
that in fact this does show us something, in fact a lot about Christ and his gospel um, that we see in this. And that is a good way to approach any passage in New or Old Testament. Where does this show us the gospel? Where's Christ in this? And I think there's a lot of things we can grab uh, from this passage as well. So first, just overall in, in trying to see that in here, you know, um, I, I, we see a pattern in, in scripture and uh, you'll hear a lot of here at Hiawatha of kind of moving from the lesser to the greater. Um, a progression from uh, kind of ideas as they, they move through time in the Bible and what they tell to us now in light of what, the, uh, what Christ has done. So just an example you hear a lot of is, is David. So David was a man after God's own heart. Um, he, was, he was brought in when a, a, a poor leader of Saul was, um, had, turned against, had turned against God and God said, I'm going to take this from you and put somebody with a, who's a man after my own heart. Even the, in the New Testament, Paul says that. But if you, and he's looked to as kind of the pinnacle of Jewish kingship and achievement uh, in both the um, Old Testament and New Testament. Like this is King David, he was the one. But if you've read any of the other parts of the Old Testament, you also read, which is a great apologetic by the way, like it describes his massive failures. Um, you could list more, but the two that are, that are very much come out right to the front that would honestly like disqualify a leader from serving here um, is that he was an adulterer and a murderer. Like he he slept with his uh, general's wife and then sent his general to death on the battlefield. So even this like great king, lots of ways we can look to like whole another study and maybe sermon series on that is like David as, the, uh, as a precursor to Christ and yet massive failure. Um, uh, Christ though is was and is the perfect king, as Hebrews 1, 3 to 4 tells us. The same idea kind of applies here. As we read the qualifications of leaders that we know will in some ways fall short, our response should not be to say, well, then let's just, leaders are garbage, let's throw it all away. Our response should be to look past them and realize that Christ never will fail us and fall short on these qualifications. He will always shepherd, guide us, and serve us perfectly. So let's take a look at a couple of these qualifications that um, leaders uh, are listed in both sections of this passage in this light. Um, the first one we have in, in both of them is the description that it kind of uh, reads as a husband of one woman or essentially a one woman man. So yes, this is important for us as leaders. That, that is uh, true. But it's even more important of a picture of the faithfulness of Christ, the man, capital T, to his one woman, the church. Christ's perfect faithfulness to us as mirrored dimly in the faithfulness of our leaders to their spouses is meant to remind us of how he will never let us go. So practically here at Hiawatha, we, we pray for marriages. We pray for these structures. We, we step in as needed and we, we want to see that in our leaders all the time. But we also know that this whether and Again, praying against it ever happening here, but it happens in the world. How horrible it would be and devastating if, uh, if someone is unfaithful in their marriage. And yet it doesn't change the fact that Christ will always remain faithful even when others may fail. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. That's the faithfulness we ultimately look to. He is the perfect husband to his church. He is the never-failing come what may that we sing about. One of those songs I love to, to sing and I uh, just encourage you as you sing through th- songs that wasn't up here today but just like think about those lyrics and how they, when you hear that word, what that means and all that comes behind it because you'll find yourself kind of singing those lyrics and, and repeating them to yourself as well. 
Um, so that, that's one way we see in the, in the qualification of uh, overseers and deacons, you also see that even more so in the character of Christ. Um, the phrase too in, uh, in verse seven, where it says elders should be well thought of by outsiders. In Matthew 8 and in John 4, we see two examples of this. Um, won't read through the whole thing. In Matthew 8, there's a centurion, the uh, representation of the occupying Roman emperor um, in the place of Israel. So they can't worship exactly as they want to. They don't have control over their political and religious life. I mean, they have somewhat, but not, not nearly as much. They can be squelched, and ultimately that was the political source of, of Jesus' crucifixion. So this is, this is not a well-loved group in Israel. Um, and yet, in Matthew 8, the centurion sees the work of Christ, sees his, um, his power, his authority, and is drawn to it and says, I, I want that. And Jesus says, invites him in and, said, and actually points to him as, a, as an example of faith. Um, in John 4, we have the uh, Samaritan woman at the well. Just kind of thought of this as I was uh, kind of between services, but if you've ever seen the, um, the Chosen, I think it's a really good, it's a great scene when in John 4 is done. Um, it's one of the few that I've, I've seen there, but I just sort of uh, showing this Samaritan woman, like there's this huge distance, Samaria, um, this region that had been separated ethnically from Jewish. They were, they were connected, but um, viewed very much as like down there. Um, and so it very, was, was very meaningful that Jesus was reaching out to her, engaging in conversation. Um, and we, we see that she's outside the people of Israel. And again, she is brought in. She sees something and, and Christ invites her in and she wants to be a part of it. So these outsiders were drawn in by Christ. They were outside the kingdom, but were shown compassion and forgiveness when they said, I want that too. And these are also pictures of us. So when we look to this qualification, like, you know, uh, as, as an elder, like you should be well thought of by outsiders. I can guarantee I can find some former students who probably don't think super highly and they, of me and think, find something they don't really like about what I did. That's okay because we look to somebody else who's perfectly done this and drawn us in. In Ephesians 2, he's, Paul says this, and, and who are we? So he's, he's speaking to, to everybody. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath, wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We were all once those outsiders, drawn in by the love of Christ and made alive together with him. And finally, then in verse 10, we see that it tells us in, uh, deacons are to be tested first, to be, to be tested before giving kind of greater responsibility. In Matthew 4, we read about how Jesus was tempted by Satan in the desert after fasting for 40 days. If you recall, he's, he's exhausted and right before he starts his public ministry, he's tempted with kind of physical sustenance, get, turn this stone into bread. Uh, and Jesus, uh, and he's tempted with scripture and Jesus um, uh, refutes that with, with scripture. He's tempted to save himself from uh, jumping off a, a high building and um, he, doesn't, he doesn't do that. He says, I don't, you don't need to test God. And he then also uh, is, is tested with huge amounts of power and authority, which he already has, but like earthly power and authority, which he chose not to take. 
right? And then later at the end of his ministry, when he's about to be put to death and he's in the garden and he's sweating blood and he comes before the father and says, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Like that is another test. And thankfully, he did not do it. He did not, he, he, he passed that test. He didn't give up that, that cup and have God take it from him. He could have. He, he would have remained perfect. We would have been, remained in our sin, which would have been horrible for us. But he was fully tested in the most difficult task in all of human history that has happened or ever will happen and followed through and is persevering for us as the perfect lamb of God. And so when we look to these qualities, like, we should look to Christ as the perfect example of all of them, which makes sense because he is the head of the church, the perfect leader under which all other leaders are to willingly and thankfully submit. And so as we kind of bring this uh, together to kind of take some uh, final encouragements and reminders, um, first start to just to go back and remind us that, that it's, um, God doesn't leave us without direction. Like, see his love in this passage and that it's, it's not just have at it, figure out the best way to do it. There is clearly, like, freedom in the gospel. To look, these things can look in different ways, but it's not like we're just figuring everything out ourselves. Like, there is, there is wisdom here in what God has given us. Um, and so he does that for our instruction and our benefit. Um, and kind of along that, leadership isn't a suggestion. Um, there's many other places you can look by example and by direction that it's not just like, this is an option, um, this is instructed for us. So as the, as the body, as the church, specifically locally here at Hiawatha, like we, and throughout time, these, these questions have been looked at from this is instructed to us, what do we, what do, we do with that? And so it's not just a suggestion um, in here. And that the roles of elder and, and deacon are specific and have a purpose in order to serve his church, to feed them and to serve them, even though we know that those Humans serving in those roles are never going to do that perfectly. And so when you look to those qualifications, do you look, look at them in your leaders. I mean, that, that is part of why we, we have a process. It's not just like somebody signs up on a piece of paper and can just join one of these, uh, these teams. We, we talk about it. Uh, we hear from each other. We, we, we know each other. We see these things being reflected. Um, but, but look beyond that to Christ and see how he has perfectly done all of them. He has faithfully loved us like a husband who marries and stays faithful to his wife. He has been tested and found perfect in order to be our servant leader and atoning sacrifice. And he has drawn in not only those outside the first century Jewish culture where he lived, but also all of us who were once separated from the people of God by calling us out of death into life. And finally, um, just kind of two things here of together, going backwards, okay, uh, is to prioritize the gospel. Um, if in reading and hearing this today, especially the, there might be other things too, but typically like the, the question about men serving in eldership, if that's something that is challenging for you um, and hard to see some of the rest of it or just, or maybe that's the one thing that you would like to explore, I would, I would can consider reaching out to one of us. Um, we love these conversations and it is not, it is not something you have to check off to be for sure, to be loved by God or to be part of this church even. Um, it is what we kind of call an open-hand uh, issue in that um, we believe it's important. Kind of spend some time looking at that here today in the why and even uh, last week and it'll uh, come up again. But also that it's not the most important. Don't get dragged down by that thing. I think that um, sometimes these issues um, 
I, I don't think we're necessarily always going to see like the exact same, and they can, they can fester and become something more than they need to be. So I would encourage you to, to talk to leaders in the church about this, um, and I, I, do, I, I firmly believe, and we've seen this in patterns of history, that those generally tend to become less once they're talked about. I think when things are left unsaid and they just sit there, they're much more likely to fester. Um, but lastly, then, kind of in conjunction with that, is if you're here and you hear this idea of a perfect leader, that Jesus, the Son of God, who did all these things and more, is somebody that you want to follow and submit your life to, you don't have to like, have a theology degree or understand every aspect of this, these passages or like know the Bible in and out first. And even more broadly, like, you don't have to look at those lists of qualifications and say, well, you know, I'm, you know, I'm kind of a, I get angry pretty quickly. So I, I'm going to fix that first and then I'm going to consider like how God might use me. Like, that's, like, that's, wrong. that's wrong. Don't do that, right? Um, what, is the pat- that what we're told is to simply believe. John 6 says, this is the work of God. This is the work to do. What is the work to do? To believe in him in whom he has sent. And that Jesus is the son of God and the only mediator between God and man by which you may be saved. And if you do believe this, whether it's the first time today you're, as you're thinking and processing it through, if God is calling you to that, or if this has been uh, multiple years, um, rest in the knowledge that Christ is on the throne and he is our ultimate leader. Is shepherding your soul and mine perfectly well in the context of your local church, be it here or elsewhere, even amidst our own human imperfections and sin. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to hear from your word today. Thank you for the way in which you love us, that you don't leave us uh, leaderless, you don't leave us on our own, but you are, are near to us and you provide uh, both uh, human leaders but also your spirit and your son to be the ultimate uh, head of the church. I pray that you would encourage uh, these uh, people here today with that, that you would go before them and help them to uh, just be uh, more in love with you and your gospel than they were when they came in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.